I had a choice of just putting in finishes that were just good enough for a rental accommodation or putting in finishes which were maybe a notch higher. And I chose the notch higher because... Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Welcome back to another awesome episode. We've got Babar Mogul this week, a former student of mine, and we talk about his bird deal and lots more as well. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. He's been just taking action, making things happen, and has had a ton of success. So we, we talk about flipping, we talk about the successful Burr project. He started recently wholesaling. So he's got his hands in a few different strategies and uh, his philosophy in life is success equals mindset and action and 100%. I back that up. Mindset is going to be a huge piece of it and action. Obviously you can't do anything and you can't get anywhere if you don't take action. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Before we do that, let's uh, hear from Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages on this week's tip. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And on today's episode, I would like to share with you some of the key changes we're seeing in the lending space and environment ahead and how you should plan and pivot. The first change is rates. We all know by now that the Bank of Canada is on a mission to combat inflation and they are using the rate policy as a tool to do so. Prime rate has increased several times in 2022 and is expected to rise again by the end of 2022 by another 1 to 1.5%. The media is scaring everyone and making it sound like the sky is falling. Yes, the rates are rising and yes, the prospects of a recession are on the rise. These are things you and I cannot control. What we can control, however, is how we navigate the waters ahead. And that's what's going to make us successful and get us to safety. It is important to remember that rate increases will stop once the Bank of Canada gets a handle on inflation. While no one has a crystal ball, indicators show that we are yet to see another 1.5 to 2% increase by the year 2023. Then we will stay there for a while, a period estimated to be at 24 to 36 months before things start to ease up again. So what can you do here to navigate? Well, right now is the time to sit down with your mortgage advisor and assess the impact of rising rates on your cash flow and portfolio and to discuss the best ways to navigate in your case. In the previous episode, I shared many tips around how you can create capacity within your budget to handle an increase in mortgage payments and whether or not to lock into a fixed rate. Please refer to an earlier episode. If you are a commercial real estate investor who is in the midst of a renovation or a construction and you're looking to refinance 12 to 18 months out, it is important that we assess the impact of rising rates on your future equity takeout. Rising rates for both the Government of Canada bonds and the Canadian mortgage bonds will have a direct impact on the debt coverage for your property and therefore the loan amount the property qualifies for. Do not wait until the time comes to discover that you cannot take out the equity you initially planned 
for or that you are running into a shortage that you cannot pay off existing liens on the property. The second change is tightening mortgage qualifications. As the rates continue to rise, the qualification bar the residential lenders use to approve you for a mortgage will also continue to rise. Because under the stress test rules, the lenders will qualify the loan request at the higher of the Bank of Canada rate, which is 5.25, and the mortgage rate you are being approved for plus 2%. This means qualifying for less than what you wish for or shifting your deal from an A lender to a B lender or from a B lender to a private lender. If you have equity in your properties, I highly recommend that you line up that equity now through secured line of credits while the property values are still holding up. And while the qualification bar is still manageable, do not wait to line up equity when you need it. Do it when you do not need it and have it in your back pocket. After all, lines of credits do not cost you anything per month. If your renewals are six months out, do not wait. Take the time now to revisit your options as well as the equity in the property and the terms available to you today versus six months out. And finally, take time to clean house so you can still qualify in the future if you're looking to continue to grow your portfolio. By cleaning house, I mean getting rid of any expensive debts or private mortgages that are standing in the way of future approvals. Lastly, values are starting to soften in some markets. I suggest lining up equity through lines of credit because opportunities will come your way in the months ahead that you would want to jump on and having funds in your back pocket will give you power. If you are an investor who is in the midst of doing a BRRRR strategy, which is a buy, renovate, refinance rent, adjust your expectations in regards to the values on exit and revisit the refinancing options and numbers with your mortgage advisor to ensure you are well positioned to exit the deal. If you have private money on one or more of your properties right now and you have taken a high leverage position to purchase the property with the intention to renovate it to increase the value, it is best to exit the expensive money now and while the values are relatively holding up. Again, planning is key heading into this new cycle. If you are concerned about the environment ahead and need guidance on how to ride the wave and position your finances to ease up any cash flow pressures or to jump on the real estate opportunities that will come your way Contact our team at info at streetwisemortgages.com for a complimentary planning session. We will help you move forward with clarity and confidence. Cheers to your success. Dahlia, thank you so much. That is awesome. And also, guys, Dahlia is going to be at the Inspire Beach Resort, our retreat for real estate investors. Feel free to come by, connect with like-minded individuals. It is all-inclusive, food, drinks, entertainment, boat rides, axe throwing, everything in between, plus lots of great workshops and educational content. It's business write-off, and you can also write it off with the government staycation credit that you also get. So if you are available August 9th, 10th, and 11th, come out and register to come to the first 
and I'm sure one of many, uh, we're going to likely do this every year if it's super successful, but it is going to be an epic retreat for real estate investors and those who are looking for that ability to grow and learn. And uh, it is the most important thing to work on yourself, right? And it's a mindset and it's about taking action. So lots of action takers that are coming to the resort, lots of great speakers. I will be there the entire time as well. Harry James, my mentor will be there as well. So can, uh, can't wait to hang out with you guys and uh, have a great time. On that note, let's bring in Babar, today's guest. Babar, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Sarah. How are you? Good. I am so excited to have you on. I've watched you through parts of your journey and, uh, and through this project as well. And you have done amazing. But before we get started, uh, I do want to say, so you were a student of mine a, a year and a half ago and, uh, and you took action and you made things happen, which is amazing. So first and foremost, let's go to what intrigued you to even want to get started in real estate investing. No, absolutely. And first off, thanks for having me. This is my favorite podcast. It was actually the one that kind of allowed me to take the leap into real estate investing. So uh, it's an honor to be here. A year and a half ago, like you said, you know, I, I knew nothing about real estate. You know, my background has been in the corporate world. Um, I'm a sales engineer. So, um, you know, very complementary skill set to real estate when it comes to, you know, working with people. However, you know, my background has been primarily in the energy sector. So I was based in Calgary, Alberta, and, you know, I, I saw two recessions, you know, with the oil prices being as high as, you know, 110. And I saw the boom times and then I saw the bust times as well. And, and, and I saw what that did to my, um, you know, financial security and, you know, me relying on a paycheck. And I, I realized that, you know, there has to be a, uh, a better way to really build your financial uh, future. And um, back then I was still in Calgary and I, right before the pandemic, I moved to uh, the GTA where my family is based uh, with my wife and four-year-old. So, I, you know, I, I stumbled upon a post by uh, Dahlia Barsoom on LinkedIn and she had mentioned you about, um, you know, you being retiring from your nine to five. And I was so intrigued. I, I dug a little bit deeper, came across your website, your podcast, the books, and the rest was history. Like I just never looked back. That is so cool. I, I love that. And, and so, okay. So you took, you took my course, the Burr class, and uh, it was one of the combos where we go out in the field and there's learnings along the way. Talk to us about the, the first deal that you bought? Was it, was it during this class or did you buy something prior or walk us through that? Yeah, it was during the, the class itself. So I learned a lot about the, the concepts of the Burr strategy, but then also really by talking to, you know, whether it's a realtor or mortgage broker or wholesalers, that entire ecosystem allowed me to implement some of those concepts that we were learning in the Burr class. And this was uh, June of last year where um, the market was still pretty hot. I think it still is. Multiple offers. Uh, I was being outbid a number of times. And back then, you know, I was going back and forth with you to evaluate from a market fundamental standpoint, what makes sense. And, you know, I decided to go to Port Coburn, which is in the south of Niagara. So, uh, you know, even though there are investors there, but at that time I was able to find a single family home, which I purchased for 500,000 back then. And, 
it was a perfect burr opportunity. I was nervous going into the deal because I had no comps for any duplex conversions. And this is back in uh, last summer, but a lot has changed. There's been a lot of more activity in that area. So it was a very successful, I would say it's a perfect burr project and plus some. So happy to share about that. Yeah, for sure. We're going we're gonna to dig into those numbers. And, you know, and it is interesting because I don't think we've talked much about Port Colburn. I think we've talked uh, about Welland. We've talked about St. Catharines. We, you know, but Port Colburn, it, it's kind of like as, you know, property prices get expensive in some markets, oftentimes people move and trickle into different markets. But I'll, I'll tell you, I, th- I feel like Port Colburn has already got up there <laughs> now as well. So you bought this house for 500. So Okay. So this was your first purchase. Did you buy it conditions? Did you do an inspection? Like somebody that's starting for the very, very first time, like walk us through that process. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, unfortunately you don't have the luxury of, of having any conditions in a competitive market. So uh, I went in firm. In fact, I didn't even look at the property. I just had my realtor walk, do a video walkthrough. And, you know, speaking of analysis paralysis, it, it was a bit of a leap of faith, but, you know, I knew that as long as you know, the bones and the structure of the house was sound. I, I had a sense of, you know, what the renovation scope would look like. Um, never done one before. So it was hard for me to gauge um, an accurate budget, but I had to get it under contract in order to have those conversations with contractors coming for a walkthrough. Um, so from a financing standpoint, you know, I put, uh, I went through conventional financing and, you know, put 20% down and, you know, started my conversion project right away. So a few good pieces of information there. So I I think, you know, having a good realtor on your team that understands investments that you trust, that's not going to tell you to just buy anything. I think that's, you know, key to doing anything sight and scene, because if you don't have somebody that is on your side, just wants to sell you any deal, you might end up with 11. So definitely having a good realtor is key. And then having the realtor have a good team. So if you are going into a new market, just make sure that they have a good solid team in place, whether it's contractors, BCIN design or any of that stuff for the Burr strategy. So how did you get the quotes? Did you get, you know, three quotes? Did you, did you have one person uh, only that you wanted to work with from a contractor standpoint? How did that all work out? Yeah, great question. I mean, this is, I would say it's a huge learning experience where, you know, when we put in the offer, we made sure that I had at least five walkthroughs before I close. So, you know, that would allow me to have multiple uh, you know, contractors do a walkthrough. But essentially, the first time when I visited the property, I went in with my BCIN designer. So I'd already screened out who I'm going to be working with and had a chat in terms of what the plan was. Um, so he was prepped up, you know, really utilized that first visit. And at that point, um, I had a few referrals for contractors. So I had a handyman, I had a general contractor. And I, I just asked them a bunch of questions. I, I walked the property with them and I was really asking them, what are you thinking? And so what do you think it's going to take to get a new bathroom or what are some of those scope items that I need to be thinking about? So, you know, through that experience, uh, learned quite a bit about, you know, the material, the labor that would go behind each of those, uh, um, you know, the kitchen, the bathroom, the flooring, from a bylaw perspective, what do I need to think about to convert a duplex legally? So, you know, drinking through the fire hose, right? It was a lot of information, but I think that I was very much hands-on and actively involved with those conversations. So I had 
um, I would say four contractors uh, do a complete walkthrough, including a few handyman. So in case I wanted to manage it myself or go through a GC, I had both options available. And when I would get a scope from one contractor, I would pressure test that with another contractor. And, you know, through that uh, process, I, I really defined what I was wanting to land on in terms of the scope. And at that point, I had selected my contractor. And before we had closed, you know, I had everything lined up, including the material that I would purchase the very first week. So before you closed, did the BCIN designer start the drawings and start applying for the permits so that you didn't waste any weeks that were needlessly not needing to be wasted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had about four weeks before I closed, so I certainly didn't want to lose out on those um, crucial weeks. So we had those drawings completed, uh, submitted to the city. So that clock started. You know, one of the other benefits of having those drawings done up is also it helps the contractors with their estimates because now they know, you know, what measurements and how much drywall, how much lumber, you know, all the other material that goes around the interior, it's, it's, it's given to them in a drawing. So it's easy mm-hmm. for me to do an apples to apples comparison. And it's, it's, it's a true estimate. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah. I mean, that way the contractors can also give you the quote based on those numbers and then they're not trying to add more, add less. It's, it's actually right in front of them. So, and then they'll give you some, some ideas and, and thoughts on how to make it the best investment possible. That's, that's good. So how much did you spend on, on reno costs? Like how much of that whole construction part cost you? Yeah. So uh, that number changed, I would say more than three times. My initial budget was about a hundred thousand and then it went up to 120 and it, uh, finished off at 140K. Um, And there were a couple of reasons of, you know, why the budget escalated. You know, obviously when you start off 
the project you want to go for the for the lowest price, but then making sure that the quality and the timelines are, are adhered to. But then there are a couple of surprises that, that came along the way. And this was in the fall timeframe when we had just started uh, working on the basement. Uh, we saw witness some water seeping in through the walls. So, you know, that was a red flag right there that, okay, you know, we may have a leaky basement. So that was a great time for us to uh, waterproof the entire uh, perimeter of the house. And, you know, that took uh, an extra cost, which was not initially budgeted, um, but highly recommend those that are in the Niagara belt uh, doing duplex conversions um, to keep a, a watch out because, you know, it's important when you waterproof the basement versus, you know, finish off a full basement and later on find out that it's leaking. Uh, it's going to cost you a lot more to remediate mm -hmm. that. So, you know, I waterproofed the basement, which, you know, cost me an extra 8,000 because there was a lot of excavation outside, but peace of mind for me, this lifetime warranty, I'm not worried about, um, you know, any, any issues down the road. Some of the other things from a budget standpoint that escalated were the material costs. You know, obviously, as we know, it's, it's, uh, it's everyone is, is doing some sort of a renovation or the construction industry is, 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 is really cranking up and coupled with supply chain constraints, you know, some of the material costs ballooned. And then lastly, contractors will obviously hit you with change orders. And, and that was a big learning for me is how do I effectively manage uh, expectations? Um, how do I communicate those, um, whether that's in writing or whether that's a change order? So there were a couple of, you know, new items that came along the way, which, which ended up escalating. But, you know, all in all, I think with when the project finished, um, I was able to recoup my renovation budget. So it was still a, a good budget to work with. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the pandemic, like prices have gone up and, and labor has gone up and there were shortages and, and you know, you, you were definitely dealing with a lot of different new cards as well. But I think it's one of those things from a construction standpoint, the budget is never fully the budget. Like it's always going to differ a little bit, right? So whether you buffer in 10, 20% extra, buffer it in because like you said, you, you didn't know that there was a leak issue, but you're going to have to fix it. And, you know, sometimes you, you tear down walls and then you realize that like, it didn't look like there was knob and tube and it was changed on everything you could see, but not inside. So like, there's always going to be some surprises and you just have to work with a contractor that has experience, works with investors. But, you know, I think like you said, Babar, I think the important thing is to run the numbers backwards. What's your ARV? What is your rental budget? What is your max, max rental budget? You know, and then what's your purchase price? I mean, I definitely think you purchased at a great price and actually $140,000-ish, give or take, I think that's what you said you spent, is not that high for a typical conversion from a, a single family to a duplex. That's probably the average. Yeah, sure, you can find somebody that does it for less. Smaller towns even might have some local folks and they might not charge as much. You could do it yourself and manage the trades, but that's probably fairly typical for a conversion. I agree. Um, you know, one of the other things that we had to work with was just the square, the square footage. I had 1,600 square feet above grade and below grade. So I'm just looking at my flooring bill, right? Like it, it's a lot of square feet to cover. Mm -hmm. So you're right. I think that was a decent budget. I tried to mitigate the cost in terms of 
procuring material by myself and, and establishing those relationships with the suppliers. Obviously, there were some that made more sense for the contractors to procure. But yeah, I, I tried to really go down to the lowest denominator. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I didn't want to compromise on the quality because that's the other piece that I, I want to point out is that I had a choice of just putting in finishes that were just good enough for a rental accommodation or putting in finishes which were maybe a notch higher. And I chose the notch higher because, you know, this was the property that I wanted to keep. It was, it was a great cash flowing property. Um, and my hope was that through those higher quality finishes, I would attract a higher quality or higher profile of a tenant. And again, you know, I didn't have great comps for the tent, the rents. Uh, for the main floor and a duplex. So I was nervous. I, I didn't know if I was able to get the rents that I finally did get. So it, it almost like I set new records when it came to both the ARV as well as the rents. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about that. So how many bedrooms did you decide to create on each floor and why? So the main floor already came with three bedrooms. I just made sure that I had an open concept kitchen living and separated the hydros from um, the upstairs and the, the basement. Now the basement, it was a blank canvas. I had 1600 square feet to work with. Uh, so I put three bedrooms, you know, you typically see two in a basement. Um, I, that was an opportunity I saw because I said that, you know, maybe this would attract more families and given the space with the pandemic, people are working from home. Maybe they use the third bedroom as an office. Um, so each bedroom has large windows. So with eight feet ceiling, it almost doesn't feel like you're in a basement, yeah, separate washer dryer. So, um, you know, that's what we did with the basement and uh, the main floor. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know what I, I like, if you can do it properly, right. I mean, if it's going to look too small, then don't do it. But I, I do like the idea of having three bedrooms and basements when you can, because I think you can command higher rents. It's not as common. You're not going to get, you know, the same price as a three bedroom on the upper floor, but you'll get, in my opinion, significantly more going from a two to three bedroom in many markets because it's not as common in three bedrooms. I mean, even if you have a couple, they want an office uh, or an office each. And especially now with people working from home, I think it's a great opportunity to, you know, provide more space now that people are not going to the office as much. So how, you know, how much rent did you get for each of the units? So for the main floor, I was able to get uh, 2150 plus hydro. And uh, the basement, I was able to get 1850 plus hydro. And, and what kind of tenants are they that you decided to rent to? Yeah, so this was another huge learning experience where, um, you know, when, you, when I put out the ad, I got a lot of interest and I, I didn't realize the value of the screening process. So, you know, I had to go back and rewatch a couple of our classes where, you know, we go through the entire tenant screening process. And uh, what I landed up with, I took a little bit more time than I could have but I, I wanted to really find the right fit. Um, so upstairs, we, we have a couple. We, we were, um, you know, welcoming off pets. Um, so they've got two dogs and, you know, we were okay with that. They had just moved from Alberta. So it, it almost felt like, you know, we, we wanted to welcome them into their first home in Ontario. And um, both are working couples. Uh, one is a work from home. In, in the basement, we have other, you know, two, two brothers that, uh, you know, are 
out most of the time. You know, one is an electrician, you know, the other, uh, you know, is in the transportation industry. So they're barely at home. Again, you know, we did see a lot of interest from families with a lot of kids. So these are the things we had to consider that based on who we have upstairs, you know, who do we want downstairs? Because the downstairs could maybe drive the upstairs out, right? So these are things that we had to actually consider, you know, given that it's a duplex. So very happy with who we ended up with though. Absolutely. And, and you know what, the other thing too, and you got to be very careful how you position this because you can't really say it out, outright, but from my, my opinion, I mean, the less heads in the beds that you can get for the same rent, the less wear and tear you're going to have, right? So you got to factor that in. Do you want six people, seven people in the one unit, or you know, could you get the same rent with two or three? And likely over time, there'll be a little bit less wear and tear. Again, it's not a be all and end all rule, but just based on my experience with my rentals, that is you know what I've been seeing. So, but you know, on that note, what is the cash flow? So before you did the refi and after you did the refi, what, what do those numbers look like? Yeah, before the refi, I mean, I, I was blown away with the cash flow, right? It was fifteen hundred a month. So this is after factoring in, you know, vacancies, um, a budget for maintenance, for capital expenditures, um, insurance, tax, etc. The cash flow was great, fifteen hundred. And then when I refi, uh, when I refinanced, uh, my refi came at nine fifty, which was a pretty uh, significant jump. And, you know, there's a, there's a story behind that that I'm happy to share. But, you know, after that, I was able, my current cash flow is uh, just over 520. Okay, amazing. So you're still cash flowing and you're, we're going to talk about the refi in a second because I think it's a great story. So cash flow before refi just essentially means that, you know, you're not pulling out your down payment or your reno costs. You're kind of leaving those in, you're just renting it. It's like kind of more of like a buy and hold and like reno, but like in order to do the full burr, you got to go get your money out and do a refi. So walk us through what you've learned from the refi process and some takeaways. Absolutely. Uh, you know, having the right appraiser on your side is, is crucial um, because, you know, the hope is that they see the projects uplift as well as the potential that you're um, outlining the same way. Um, you know, for example, uh, my lot is 102 by 104 feet. I have the approval from the city of Port Coburn to uh, construct a garden suite um, on the site. So, you know, that's the land potential right there. You know, just showing the journey from how, where you bought the single family to what you did to convert it into a legal duplex, as well as, you know, the finishes and, and, and really providing um, a higher quality um, accommodation in a great neighborhood, you know, that is what you hope is the appraiser is going to is going to see. So the first time I I had an appraisal, uh, you know, come down, I actually had to pay for them to visit Port Coburn, which, you know, it was a bit odd for me because I thought that if you serve the city of Port Coburn, you'd probably not charge an extra kilometer, a dollar per kilometer. But you know, I was focused on the bigger picture. Um, that refi came significantly lower than I expected, and. When I dug deeper, I realized that they had classified the property as a single family home with a legal um, accessory unit. And you know, there's, uh, that's wrong because mm -hmm. the definition of a legal duplex is that it's the, the same square feet above and below grade. And you know, I just maybe ended up with the wrong appraiser, but I 
contested that and um, the bank allowed me to go select another appraiser. And that other appraiser also went through the similar process. So when I was done, uh, I was, you know, crossing my fingers. I was hoping that, you know, this might be a bit different and different it was, you know, it, it came out at 950, which was, I was hoping for 850, which was going to be a perfect burr plus a, a bit of a profit. But the 950 was, you know, again, I mean, I saw the comps, uh, the market really has appreciated since then. And, and there were some really strong comps to, to support that. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. So a $250,000 difference from one appraiser to the other. And I know we had talked about this and I'm like, oh, get this person. And I, for whatever reason, I think the you know the schedules or whatnot didn't line up and and you ended up going with a different person but i'm telling you the the appraiser and the appraiser company can make or break a difference especially the ones that know how to analyze investment properties versus the ones that are just more used to analyzing the single family type of homes or residential to homes for people to live in it's, it's a whole different ball game now did you go to the bank directly or did you work with a mortgage broker i worked with a broker Okay. So they, they looked at, at this option and then you looked at the other option. What was the timeline difference between the 700000 and the $950,000 appraisal? Two weeks. Okay. So just in two weeks. So it's not like it's been months in between that like the prices have changed, but the appraiser that's likely used to appraising investment properties knows what the other ones that she or he just recently appraised at and how yours compares to the other. So any thoughts or any additional insights that you want to share on the appraisal piece? I'd certainly encourage anyone who is hoping for a significant lift is to prepare a bit of a package for the appraiser. You know, not that you're telling them how to do their job, but really distill and boil down the work that you've put into the property. 
right? Like make it easy for them to understand what was it, what was there before and, and what is it that you've done? So say, for example, I waterproof the basement. I, I outlined that, right? Because these are all value add features. And, you know, obviously I, I, I presented my own comps, which were, you know, maybe cherry picked, but I think they were the strongest comps. And when you present that information to the appraiser, it's easier for them to to refer back versus come back and, and ask some questions. So I'd prepared a binder and I'd email that to the appraiser um, after our visit. Uh, they were very appreciative of that because, you know, the pictures, right, that's also really important because they didn't see the property, you know, when you bought it as is. So uh, really looking at, you know, the transformation also really helps the appraiser to understand the, the, the renovations and the budget that has gone behind it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well said. So essentially with 950, then you, you get a new mortgage for, you know, 80% loan to value that minus the current mortgage that you have left is the money that you can cash out. And then you can do it as cash out. You can do it as a HELOC again, work with your mortgage broker on that, but then you can now go and pay back your rental and holding costs and you can go and pay back any down payment with the money that's available. So question I'm sure that many people are wondering is if you get all of your money back and then some, do you have a little bit of money left in the deal? Cause that's also very normal. It's very rare to do, you know, a home run burr in one shot, but you know, what were your results? Yeah, my, my results. And I still, you know, sometimes I can't believe the results, but basically I, I have about 363,000 in available equity. So what that means is that I was able to pull out my down payment. Um, I was able to pull out my renovation and my holding costs. And on top of that, I was able to generate $102,000 in profit. So I'm going to pause, really- pause right there for a second, because I, I think this is a really important that, so you, you paid yourself back for every single penny that you put into the deal, your down payment, your reno, your holding, and then you made another hundred grand on top of it. That is correct. So how long with your job would it take you to make a hundred grand? Like that's like cash, right? It's like, you know, you know, I mean, it's a different tax situation, but let's just say a hundred grand net from your job. Tax-free. I mean, yeah, like, Hey, it, it would take me close to a year, if not longer. And you know, the, the, the beauty of it is that I, I thoroughly enjoyed this process so much that I could do this full time. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, the friends I made along the way, the, the learnings I've had, you know, not just from a project standpoint, but from tax, from contract law, from construction to financing. I mean, you know, the personal development is great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like they say, you're, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So I'm sure you've met uh, some really cool p- people to uh, put into those five or more, but, you know, to really elevate your, your growth as well and to share your success. So, all right. So you made a hundred grand, which is amazing. How long did this project take from start to finish? So start to finish took eight months. Um, it was longer than I had planned. A lot of it had to do with the appraisal, you know, uh, being hung up. And, uh, but the construction finished in about six months and then the other three months were just, you know, doing the refinance. Okay. And roughly like how many hours a week do you think it took you from your personal time to do? Well, with, you know, I don't live in the, in the Niagara region. I live in the GTA. So, um, and with the full-time nine to five job, I wasn't there on the weekdays. I would make a weekend trip and just, you know, have my weekly calls with the contractor, um, do, you know, virtual um, walkthroughs um, over WhatsApp. And uh, um, all in all, I would say maybe I put in three hours 
a week, three to four hours a week off of my time, primarily going visiting. But other than that, everything else was virtual. Okay. Amazing. So for three hours a week, a hundred grand in eight months, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's amazing. And not only that, but you get, you get about $500 a month of cash flow now post refi, you were saying. So that is good. What, congratulations, by the way, what are you working you. on these days? Yeah. So, you know, since this bird project, I've um, obviously been looking for more deal flow and it's quite challenging in the market. So I'm, I'm trying to take things in my own control by general so, uh, you know, I've started my wholesaling and flipping business, which is called Canadian Homeowner Solutions. You know, we call it solutions because, you know, we didn't want to just have um, a one-stop answer. We wanted to have a suite of answers for whether it's a seller or a buyer. So primarily I'm, you know, wholesaling and flipping, but really the goal is to, is to feed the portfolio, depending on if there's a burr opportunity that I'd want to execute on. I've got some partners that want to partner with me as well. So there's uh, multiple uh, ways that I could look at a project depending on, um, you know, how much meat there is on the bone. Amazing. That is very cool. So if people want to sign up for your email list for your wholesaling stuff, where do they go? Just go on to the website, uh, CanadianHomeownerSolutions.ca. Oh, very cool. Have you acquired much off-market these days? We are just in the midst of, you know, talking to a few sellers and the process really is getting a bit drawn out because, you know, it's, it's a seller's market. So it's almost like a private seller is also expecting retail dollars. So we're just working out a few uh, deals as we speak, but stay tuned. Okay. All right. Very cool. That is awesome. And you're doing some flips? That is correct. Yeah. At the same time, I'm, uh, you know, uh, a private money lender. So I'm uh, partnered on a few flips, uh, one in Calgary, one in uh, the Welland area as well. All right. Very cool. That is amazing. So we, we are now at the point of doing our lightning round. I'm going to ask you five questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind in uh, 10 seconds or less. You ready? Bring it on. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right, Babar, what is number one, your favorite real estate investing book? There are several, but I would uh, certainly want to give a mention to uh, Quentin D'Souza, uh, his collection of books, Real Estate Investing in Canada by Don Campbell. You know, definitely, I think Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think it's, it's, it's also a, a great one. Okay, all great books. Number two, not necessarily real estate related, but if you are a podcast listener, do you have a favorite one? I, I only listen to real estate podcasts, unfortunately. So, you know, it has to be a real estate one. Obviously yours, you know, definitely an avid listener. I would say Andrew Hines and also an avid listener of Mark Lofters. All right. Very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun aside to work and real estate? You know, I, I love being a dad. Um, I've got a four-year-old son and I've got uh, my second child on the way. So in July of uh, 2022, is when uh, I'll be a dad again. So, you know, I, I thank you. So I, I just enjoy, uh, 
you know, being a kid and, and playing um, with my son. So that's what I'm doing when I'm not uh, busy working. Nice. You know, if, if you're going to have a girl or a boy, it's a girl. Oh, very nice. All right. Good. Number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your assets, all your money, how would you start again? You know, I've been thinking about this. If, if I wanted to start again, I would, uh, you know, invest in myself, develop my knowledge, my skills and my expertise, and really try and work for somebody that is you know, doing something that in real estate that I would want to strive for. I, I, I'd really actually pick up a job in real estate and just, you know, gain hands-on experience. Okay. All right. And last question. Number five, if somebody has $50,000, it is much less today than it was when I first started this podcast. How would you recommend they spend that money? It is. Yeah. But with inflation, I think 50,000 is, it, it won't really move the needle. I would say that uh, try and grow that, that bucket into by doing some private lending in real estate. Uh, you can get some really good returns. Um, try and get that to like maybe 150,000 um, that will allow you to maybe have enough to do a down payment and some rentals and um, get your first deal underway. Amazing. All right. Great advice. Thank you for playing the lightning round. Babar, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So um, Facebook, you could find me via Babar Mogul, R-E-I. And Instagram, I'm at uh, B Mogul. Feel free to reach me on either one of those platforms and uh, happy to connect. Amazing. Babar, thank you so much. Congratulations on your success. And I'm looking forward to hearing more success stories from you. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.